Welcome to BizBytes, brought to you by Com Together, helping businesses like yours build their brand through telling amazing stories to engage and grow audiences on multiple platforms. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of BizBytes. Today I have uh, with me Sean, and I'm going to let him introduce himself in just a minute. Sean and I have got to know each other, I guess, through a mutual connection that we've had, and we've been getting to know each other on and off for a few weeks now uh, in the course of that uh, community that we're both part of. But I thought it'd be great to really get to know a little bit more of the story behind Sean and, and what makes him tick. He's a he's a graphic designer, and uh, some of the stuff that I've seen so far is is excellent, and I'm looking forward to getting to know him a little bit better. So, uh, Sean, if you want to introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks, Anthony. And, yeah, I really appreciate the invitation. So my name's Sean McCall. I run a small studio called Citizen by Design, and we specialize in branding and visual communications. Basically, what I'd like to think we do is we help people grow their businesses and inspire their audiences. And we're doing that by design, which is things like logos, brochures, marketing material, social media and websites, just stuff like that. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff uh, there. And I, I look at, you know, that's a space that's very dear to me. And we were talking a little bit beforehand about it, that, um, you know, branding has been something that's been part of my business from, from the beginning, but we are not graphic designers. We are uh, the marketing part that is uh, that feeds into the design agency. And I, I love that space. Um, and I want to, um, I, I'm going to come back to the story behind your business in a little while because I, I I know I've heard a little bit of it and uh, it's a great story. But I want to just talk to you a little bit about the, the idea of design in this day and age when there's so many tools out there that people are grabbing for free. Uh, in some cases, mm. or paying small amounts, you've got um, tools like Canva that are out there. Uh, people are getting, you know, easy to get subscriptions to the Adobe suite. Um, if you've got half an idea of what you're doing, but uh, to anyone that uses Adobe, by the way, that has not had some kind of formal training in it, you're kidding yourself because that thing can do so much stuff and you've no idea unless you've trained in it. And I think in this day and age as well of of people all over the world being able to do stuff seemingly on a dime, the value of great design for me has actually increased because it's it's it, there's so much poor design out there at the moment um, with people not investing what they should in it. Yeah, do you know what? There's been a lot of change, particularly like the last five, 10 years in particular. But uh, as we were mentioning a little bit before the chat, I actually don't see it as a bad thing that the business owners and clients that have that option if they want to do it themselves in canva or if they want to use ai to try to create something i think it's great i don't think that marketing and everything else should be kind of kind of like a gatekeeper if you know what i mean that you have to use professional designers and things like that but like what you said there anthony it does i feel it actually it doesn't take away my business it takes away people that don't want to spend money on me doing their work but it then elevates that once they get to a certain level with their business, once they realize, you know what, I don't want to do all this myself, then they quickly seek out a designer. I think for bad designers, it's probably the, the change up that's happened in the last few years is going to be bad or not good for them. But for anyone that's really good or talented at the work and if they've got an identity, they've got a style and they've got skill, you will still always find work. And I think that's, that's the key message for me. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think also that um, when you have, there is there is often a world of difference between good and okay design and great design. And I think that the one that people get uh, when we're talking about this is, is you know, photography. Um, photography has been through this phase very much because, um, you know, it was whatever it was 15, 20 years ago that we all started carrying a, a camera in our pockets did that has that automatically made us professional photographers no i think anyone that scrolls through their phone and looks at all of the photos in there you've probably got you know several thousand photos sitting in there and how many of them would match it with a professional photographer you may have fluked a couple um, and it's probably a fluke and I, I think that can happen as well with design I've, I've i know over the years that i've seen a lot of poor design and for me as well that happens because of the briefing process is is not right that people um people design for themselves rather than for their audience for starters that's true and that actually brings probably onto the the branding sort of topic and like your business there you're branding and marketing i think that's a really strength positive strength to combine the two because i'm feeling whilst i'll say i'm branding and visual communications i'll completely understand if a business owners sitting thinking themselves this branding thing sounds like i'm being made to pay for something i don't really need or the worst that they're trying to pull a you know fast one with me or something because they're thinking themselves all i really want is marketing i just want sales but branding when it's done well it's um yeah it it does it will add focus to your markets and it gives you identity it gives you all the things that you've mentioned in your business about building relationships authenticity that's the key thing. So sometimes, and it is one of these things where it's hard to, to convince somebody that that's something that they need. But if somebody does do a bit of research and understands a little bit about branding, they'll see the value that a brand-focused designer, or like what you mentioned earlier, like good design, that's then when you can go like, this is the reason why it's good design, because it's given us a better identity. It's connecting us with our customers and it's given us building our reputation. It's not just about making it look pretty, it's actually it's doing it's it's building our whole audience and it's it's, it's getting sales. Yeah, I think the the the, the important thing for me about uh, really great design is that it adds value to the story that you're trying to tell as a brand. That you know your your name and your strapline tagline starts to tell some of that. Sometimes you've got some other words that sit alongside of it as well. But the design should add value to that story. It doesn't always have to be literal. It needs to add some value to it. And what one business does does not make it relevant to yours necessarily either. I think um, I, I remember sitting with a um, a client many years ago and we were embarking on a rebranding exercise and we were sitting in a cafe and he pointed behind me and he said, I like that logo. I'm looking at what's that logo? It was, it was the NAB, right, the National yeah. Australia Bank. And oh, there's nothing wrong with the NAB logo. It's fine for the, for the NAB. And I kind of looked at, back at him and I went, well, there's nothing I can give you from that. So we're not going down that path at all. <laughs> the colour, for starters, is completely wrong for your business. So let's ignore that one. The font bears no relationship to what you're trying to achieve as well. I'm not quite sure what we can glean from 
from from that. And I think equally there are, um, I think you, you might appreciate this, and um, a number of years ago involved in a branding exercise and we went through a very thorough process. Um, you know, there was market research. There was a whole lot of stuff done before we uh, arrived at this and everyone absolutely loved it. But I had one manager um, who just decided that she liked fluorescent pink and Mm -hmm. everything was in fluorescent pink. And we're like, but that's nothing to do with the brand and the brand colors is kind of clashing. And it's, it's really, no, I like, I said, it's not relevant what you like. It's what's, you know, the, that's, I think is the key is that um, more often than not when businesses are designing and it doesn't matter whether it's a brand or then subsequently a website or a brochure or any any of those materials, it's designing for your audience. And more often than not, the person who owns the business, the people who are running the business are not the core audience. So therefore, exactly. more often than not, what they think is actually not relevant. That's very true. This is an experience I've had a fair number of times, you know, where someone's personal preferences kind of, um, influence in what the final design will be. But I think at that stage, it's just rather than trying to tell them you're wrong in any way, which is not going to help, I try to try to give them a view of, well, who is your customer? And then you try to create this visual sort of persona is what they call it. So they can go, well, okay, well, this co- this this customer here, for example, and you're showing them maybe a picture and you're saying, all right, Dave, would, would Dave connect with this logo and brand? And you're just trying to, to get them to step away from, what they like and what their personal preferences and to try and see it like you say from the customer's perspective and viewpoint because at the end of the day it'll be they do want their business to be a success they want to they want to they want to grow they want to make more sales and just trying to take that step away whilst they're completely va- valid opinions on the other side going but this is my business and i have a control but just trying to to inch them forward to as you say seeing it from the customer's perspective is always the best way to go uh, and what I wanted to ask you as well is, is it always intrigues me with designers is what inspires you. Um, and because I think that's a twofold question because there's always the the inspiration that just comes from things in general because um, being a designer, no doubt you love looking at great design, but also then you've got the, okay, now we've got to do a brand. How do you get inspired? Because I'm, I'm sure that you've got stories over the years where you've had branding work that you've done and the business itself might be, you know, for all, for all intensive purposes, relatively boring or not not something that is of great interest to you as, as what they offer. So you're having to be inspired to deliver something that is going to work for them. And that's, it's hard to, it's hard to quantify that at times. It's true. As a graphic designer, the jobs can vary. Um, quite quite drastically it's not always and creating brand identities one one that came to mind which is not some especially but it was a a logo design for fuller bust bras it was like a, called sugar candy and things like that so it's not like and i was doing the marketing and everything for this business for a period of time and going like a 30 odd year old irish guy is doing the brand place it didn't kind of match up particularly what you would expect but as designers we got we get a brief and we got to do our best to sort of answer it um it all depends the the inspiration where you get it from will really depend on what the project is ones i've really enjoyed quite recently would be doing uh gaelic football crests which is just a lovely i've even had a miami celtic supporters club sort of 
he messaged me today with like, let's get this logo done. So that's a great, that's one where I can really get into. Now it's combining my interests and my passions into the design work. Um, so that's a really key one. But as far as inspiration in a general sense, I do find that web, I, I've got a really big Pinterest account, which I don't really try to promote or say people follow me or anything like that. It's, it's always an option for people to do that. But for me, I just everything I see on the internet or when I'm scrolling, I just save it. So I'm a bit of a magpie that way, trying to collect up all these resources. And then when you do, you get the opportunity to, you get this brief and you're like, oh, fantastic. Now I can go down this little rabbit hole that have created all these visual assets. So do you get a lot of inspiration from, from yeah, looking at other design work as well, but also trying to go beyond what's today, trying to even go way back, um, yeah, as far back as I can go and try to, because otherwise you'll just find yourself repeating or at worst, you're just trying to copy someone else's work, which nobody really wants to, to do, but uh, or worse, they don't want to be caught out at it. So what I find is like the more diverse your influences are for each design project, the kind of the better the end result could be. I'm more unique as well. I, I can see that. And I, so this is a podcast, so people aren't going to see the visuals around there. But but um, uh, while I'm sitting here with a, a virtual background, probably just as much hiding the mess that's behind me, um, I, I do have a bird's eye view into Sean's living room, right? <laughs> oh, it's and, This is my uh, office here. So this is the this is a self-contained office here. But, but yeah, you're right. There's um, plenty going on in the background, isn't there? There is, and I, I love the fact that you've got this um, collection of things. Um, you know, this a, a beautiful, a beautiful chair, a leather chair, and then you've got contrast with this globe that's in the background. Lots of plants, um, you know, and pictures on the wall. It is this kind of. I can see that within that that it's that there's some inspiration, and of course, a, a nice window into the outside as well, and to obviously some garden areas. So I can see that that this space that you've created is a in in of itself an inspirational space. Absolutely. There's basically not much wall space around that hasn't got something on it. And even I'm looking around everywhere. Yeah. Every, everything has a place around. And, um, but this, this is a, this is an office, which is external to the house, which is great. And, um, yeah, it's a, but it's a really cool space. It's like really big high pitched roof. And even there, there's artwork going all the way up from friends of mine and things and lots of little Irish little trinkets to remind me of home as well. But um, yeah, a bit of a collector of things and try to get them where I can view them each day. Yeah, and uh, um, yes, I'm sure uh, listeners have picked up that um, not born and bred in Australia with the uh, with the uh, accent there. Um, so t- so tell me a little bit about the about your backstory, Sean, because I know I, I've heard a little bit about it, but I I, I want to explore a little bit more. So so you, whereabouts did you grow up? So I grew up in a small town called Oma in um, Northern Ireland. So yeah, so Ireland. I first came out here in two thousand and three on a holiday, and after that, it was about a one month holiday. And I kind of came back to Ireland, thinking, Do you know what, I'm going to get out to Australia again sometime. And then, um, yeah, it was January two thousand eight. Remember New Year's Day? I kind of made the decision, right? I'm going to go to Australia this year and want to leave. Um, and before I left, like during that year, I was working for a branding agency in Belfast, one of the biggest ones there. And um, over the course of the year, I started contacting design studios in Sydney and in Melbourne and really got a re- really good response from the, the mail out and also some of the, the, um, the emails that I sent. But by the time I got out here in February 2009, it was the, like, the peak of the global financial crisis. 
basically work was very, very tight. And there's only one of the nine um, agencies that I met with that had a position available. They were called, they're called Hive Creative in South Yarra. And um, they're still going strong today. And um, the interview with them went really well. Um, but at the very end, I remember them saying, look, we don't really understand your visa situation and we're going to be doing more interviews next week. And I remember leaving that interview going like, that's not the response I was hoping for. And I was back at the hostel that it was Friday night, having a beer and going like, you know, uh, uh, that's not what I wanted. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to do something special to get this job. So over the course of the weekend, I had a, there was an English guy there and I borrowed his little laptop and I put together a package and the package was like a shoebox, spray painted black with my business card on it. And um, inside there was my shoe and there was a leaflet, which I made up. And the leaflet had said, now I've got my boot in the door again. Um, let me make you an offer you can't refuse. And it was a three weeks work with a big asterisk on it, which was basically saying, you just have to pay my hostel for the week. And the thing was, I'd been traveling by this stage through Asia and Melbourne and Sydney about eight months or so at this stage. And... I was flat broke. If this didn't come off, I was about to go fruit picking. So this uh, Italian backpacker dropped off a package. We went to St. Kilda Beach, I remember. And about an hour or two later, I got a phone call. And it was Wayne from Hive. And he was like, yeah, look, that's brilliant. Let's take you up on your offer. Come on in tomorrow. Um, that was good. But the thing was, that was, that was a pretty, it was about midday on Monday. And I started celebrating at that point. So I had a big, big Monday with the backpackers and came into work the next day, two hours late. Try to bluff him saying, Oh, I thought we said eleven o'clock. But anyway, bit of a dodgy start. But then we'd um they got me on a project and that project was for it was a pitch tender for City of Melbourne, uh campaign called Greenlight Eat Right, which actually we won that tender and it's still going today, actually, fourteen years later. But um I'm very grateful to the team at Hive and Wayne and Davida in particular because they done everything for me. They basically says, Look, whatever it takes, we'll do, um, yeah, we'll get you to stay here. And they funded my kind of permanent residency application and they just supported me so much. I worked there for seven years and um, it's thanks to those guys that I got Australian citizenship, like about 2014, so only five years after being here, I was a full citizen. And when I went, when I left to create my own business, that's where I got the name Citizen by Design, just as a homage or whatever to the the design industry and the people I've met throughout the career and get my citizenship because of my design profession. I, lo I love that story. Um, and it's such a great name as well. And uh, the fact that it speaks to your truth, um, I think is in itself um, inspiring. And I think uh, it's a great way to start a branding agency is to have a great brand yourself. And and it starts sure. with the story. Um, and um uh, there's a lot to uh, to to sort through there, but just just for a moment, take me back to the um, to the young Sean. Um, was uh, graphic design what you always wanted to do? Was that a, an area that you were gravitating towards? Yeah, do you know what? Um, the I have an older brother, and he was very very talented artist, like really really talented artist. But and at school, I was always always one of the the best at art. But because of my brother Eamon and that. I sort of never really thought of myself as a good enough artist in that. And, but yeah, I was still in the class, but I remember, um, yeah, but the graphic design isn't about art actually. So it's actually making most of your ideas and, and doing that. And actually there's a story, there's a story that comes to mind is um, 
the first kind of design job I've ever done would have been when I was eight years old. Um, we were in a primary school, all boys primary school, and the older kids were doing a nativity play. And the younger kids, our job was to color in the cover of these programs that they're looking to sell to the, the parents. So this went on for about a week. And um, so picture on the front of the cover, it's just like Santa and on reindeers, just a coloring in page, mm-hmm. just plain white. And our, there was going to be prizes available for whoever done the best designs and for whoever done the most. So also if you're picturing a little like sweatshop with all these eight-year-old kids coloring in books, I mean, that's really what it was. But as soon as I knew there was a prize on offer, I was committed to this. And I am, um, but I started coloring them in and, but then I started getting bored of that. So what I ended up doing then was, so this little reindeer scene with Santa on it, I, I started redoing the background. So one of the ones I can remember uh, was a billboard, like the Coca-Cola, which you can imagine. So the reindeer is now coming out of the billboard. Another one was, oh, this is a, a gift tag on the top of a of a gift gift box. Or this is a this is a card sitting on a mantelpiece and things like that. So I started really, you know, trying to create these different scenes and just to make it more interesting to myself. And um yeah, I did actually do the most and I got one of the best ideas. But for some weird reason my mum went and picked me up from school on the day they were giving out the awards thing. She ne- I can't remember her ever picking me up from school early. And um, yeah, this day she did. And I was like, no, I don't want to don't want to go. They're going to give me my selection boxes. She was like, come on, I'll buy you one. Don't worry. But it wasn't the same because then the teacher went and gave them out to someone else. And I was, yeah, my first sort of bittersweet taste of a design job where, you know, it didn't get me my rewards at the end of it. Well, so, so you've been brought up at the School of Hard Knocks very, very early on in the piece. You want to you want to get paid for you for the good work you do, right? That's, uh... That's I felt I was owed something. That was for sure. It's better to learn it at eight years old than it is to than it is to learn it much later in life when it's uh, when it's worth considerably more, right? Um, and what what about your parents? Did they um, it was like design and art? If you've got two people in your family who are in in that way, does it come from? Does it come down through the family, or where does, where does all the artistic stuff come from? I'm actually not sure. My, my dad is a plumber, and I suppose the, the similarities there is that he was um, very independent, worked for himself, and. People in the town used to always tell me, oh, he's like the best plumber in the town, your dad. And my mum, she's um, basically looking after five kids because very busy with that. So that was the family life. But I've, I've got a younger sister, but older, two older brothers and one older sister. And there was like a family three and maybe eight year gap to me. So I really did take a lot. I learned so much from my older brothers and sisters because they were like teenagers and older when I was growing up. So all their music tastes, all the things they were into. And I kind of had very different. The two brothers were kind of polar opposites in certain ways, having their own identity. And my sister was somewhere in the middle. And so definitely got off that. There was creativity, there was music and things like that. But I think it was really, we at house, we were just um, encouraged to do whatever we wanted to do as opposed to go and do do what our parents done, if that makes sense. But then me coming behind those older brothers, those older siblings, I really took a lot from them. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you've got that kind of that ability to explore and and create as you did, and then by the same time, same token, those early learnings of of um, learning that independence and wanting to be you know on your own. Because I think so it, there are many industries and and graphic design is one of them where it is as you've experienced before often easier to go and work for someone else 
and um, you're you're in there, and someone is someone else is charged with going out and winning the the accounts. You're there and doing. You're just given the brief. You're doing the design, so you're falling into that creative space that that you like. So so that whole idea of going out on your own um, is a difficult decision to make. Um, and so was it always that fight for that wanting to be independent? Was that something you always wanted to do, or was there some you know, because it comes with a lot of pain trying to win win clients all the time. Yeah, you definitely, as a sole trader, run a small business. I did, as you could testify, you have to wear a lot of different hats. You have to do lots of different roles. But I think the real catalyst that brought me to to working for myself and for my own clients was that I'm living in Australia and I want to go to Ireland. And a two week holiday is just not enough time. So it's really travel that was the catalyst for me saying I need to. I need to do work for myself. Like that was like I worked with the team at I for seven years, and that was kind of the reason why I needed to to move on because I had to, yeah, just needed too much leave. That was thing, and they did really, they were really supportive as well. That they did give me work when I went overseas and things like that. So as me, it's travel as well, and that flexibility. Actually, just this week, we're um, I'm gonna be getting in the camper van. Some of my clients don't know this, but I'll still be doing work. I'm taking the laptop with me. But I'm going to take a road trip over to meet um, to hang out with one of my old workmates from the Hive days, actually. So, um, so that's the flexibility. Where as soon as I park up, I can get on the laptop and get a bit of work done. There's another thing where it's not, not not ideal to be working all the time and things like that. But I'm just very grateful and thankful that I actually do enjoy doing design work. Um, it's still it's still a thing that are, gives me a lot of joy and a lot of satisfaction when you when you create the work. That's why ultimately, you could, if I was doing the traditional route of working in studio, I'd probably be creative director and doing presentations all the time or doing that strategy thing. And that would be good. I mean, don't me wrong, but also just like creating. I like creating the logos. I like I like getting on the tools, as they say. So it, it's that sort of balance where working for myself, I get the what I'm trying to feel is the best of both worlds. But it does come with extra pressure for sure. Yeah, but the trade-off, as you say, is is that ability to travel and that we can let everyone in on a little secret. By the time this episode airs, Sean will be well and truly back and I'll be the <laughs> one that will be away and my clients won't know the difference. In fact, I'll probably almost be back by the time this one airs. But um, it's and I think that's the great thing though in the in the uh in the age that we live in now, that those tools um are on your laptop. I think, you know, even from a design point of view, it wasn't that long ago that that taking a laptop and being able to do effective graphic design was not that easy because the the uh the tools themselves were weighty in terms of in terms of the amount of space that they took up you often had you know external tools that you were having to take with you in order to make the designs effective and things and now you can you can do it more or less with the comfort of a of a decent laptop um you know, it's uh, it it is a game changing idea. I know even for me, being able to travel with my business, ignoring some time zone differences, the the reality is what I've got at my fingertips is exactly the same as what I've got by physically sitting in an office, and um, that that you know that flexibility which many of us can have in our business is huge for not just our own lifestyle, but the inspiration, I think, particularly in a creative area, I imagine that that the way you will operate having been out on a trip with the family in the camper van is going to be better than 
if we just lock you into into an office for as inspiring as your office might be, locking you in there for the next few weeks uh, is not going to you know be as helpful for your clients as you getting out. It's true, and I've actually had some really uh, great experiences as well taking the, the laptop and working overseas. One was um, when my wife was doing her yoga teacher training in Rishikesh in India. Um, like there's me doing a bit of work now. Didn't have a massive, very good setup at that stage, but I, I did manage to create a stand-up desk by working in the cupboard to stand up. So there was doing. But the view when I went out onto the, uh, the balcony, there was like the Himalayas, the foothills of the Himalayas, and the Ganges River coming down across. And I was actually working on the branding for a yoga festival called Wanderlust at the time. Not that it needed to be there for me to do the work, but there had a nice little um, connection there of, of being in the the spiritual home of yoga and doing that. So that was just one of the nice experiences, but it's just great that you're able to still earn some money, be overseas and be traveling and, and yeah, and just pay for everything you got to do. But once you finish your day's work, for me being Irish now, when I'm back home, I'll be able to spend that time with family back at home. And it's really been an important part. And I'm very grateful for my career that it's given me that opportunity to, yeah, do work that people are generally happy with and that they're, they trust me to, to do the work, even if I'm not in the same city as them. I think that's been a, it's been a huge shift, um, you know, in the last couple of years in particular, where it's it's not that the technology wasn't there before because the technology has been there for some time. the The issue has been one of trust. I think that um, there was a feeling, you know, five or six years ago, that oh, you don't have an office, a physical office in a in a building that is an office building. I'm not sure if we trust you. Um, you what do you mean you work from home all the time yeah not sure if we you know do that are you going to be as effective in what you do is it going to be you're going to be off wandering around looking after kids and cooking dinner and doing other things instead of working on my on my stuff are we paying you to do all there were all of those fears that have existed and and to some degree still do i think there are many businesses that are still trying to find that blend for their team between working from home and working in the office but I think when you're a, a, uh, working on your own as you are, it's it's just such a game-changing idea, as you said, with the travel and everything else. But on the flip side, the game-changer is really the trust that people now have that you will get the work done. That um, I've I found it fascinating that, you know, I've been in business now for over 12 years. And I think in that 12 years, I've only once had someone request to come to my office. That's the amazing thing because people want them to come to you more, more often than not when you're uh, doing the kind of work that you and I do. So, so actually, even having the office has always been an interesting, interesting idea that I've contemplated on several occasions and decided, well, you know, that's not really a necessary part of, of the of the business itself. Yeah. Um, but I, I just wanted to come back a little bit to design before we wrap things up. And um, because, you know, we've talked a bit about branding and, and touched on things like websites, but but I'm interested too in in, in brochures and those ideas, like the, the, the brilliant idea that you had to to um, get that first job at Hive is, is, is huge and not many people would have um, thought of it, let alone had the gumption to pull it off. And I think that... Um, Brochures often get a, and the reason I'm tying these two together is because brochures often get a bad rap, right? People, brochures often tick a box for people. And I think that when you get a great brochure, it can work beautifully with 
different concepts and okay we might not you might not be putting your shoe in a box for every client i'm sure you <laughs> haven't done that with everyone but i've i've i know i've put a uh I've put a plastic bone in a package for a client. So I do understand sometimes how merchandise and things can get you through, but, but I think brochures do get a bad rap and, but there's a lot that you can do with them instead of just ticking boxes. If, if you are, if you understand a brand and you understand what they're trying to achieve, um, there's scope to move. And I think that can be a lot of fun and fun doesn't always necessarily mean fun in the traditional way, but fun to work with in terms of exploring something different. Yeah, do you know what? It's um, I gave him quite recently. He's just done a a two hundred page book that's going to go into libraries and things like that. So there still is a, a good amount of print based work, but just on the brochures itself. When I speaking with a client, I kind of make them realize, or at least you know, have a discussion with them about how much value they can get, not just from this printed brochure if that's what they wanted to do, but um, but as in the amount of content that they're going to create that we can then use each part of that into like social media and you can also then if you're going to print a few of them to get them in the client's hands which is going to have that sort of tactile that people's going to have it there and they can come back to it at any point in time because you know yourself maybe if you're scrolling online and you think you've got someone's attention well their attention's gone the next second something else pops on the screen but for each brochure we do that you can also still make that digital you can still have the pdf online on your website other things that um is being done as the interactive website or PDFs we're doing now too, where it has the clickable links and it has videos embedded and things like that. So that's the kind of thing I stress is that it's not never a good thing if you want to create this brochure and that's it printed and left and done to get the most out of any marketing work that you do is try and get it across all them channels. Print is still a, a really viable one and a really strong one to get people's attention. But if you create something for print, I'd also still suggest you take all them bits and, do it on a social media post every couple of weeks and things like that and host it on your website as well as a downloadable pdf so that's the thing i i know people have been saying for a long time print is dead but i still do a fair amount of print work and um yeah maybe that will change everything else but i still like to create some sort of a narrative and a story that that gets people's attention taken through start to finish with what a good brochure should do that's um there's still going to be a, a a, a purpose for that there's still going to be people that want that service yeah absolutely and i think that that the brochures definitely have a a key place and i think even even printing them um is hugely important for many businesses as well because as people do less and less printing the opportunity to stand out with printing something particularly if it's quality um is is even greater and um you know there's um uh, there's a number of uh, great examples of that. And one that listeners of, of this podcast will be familiar with uh, a company called Send Handwritten, which designs amazing cards to send out and get those cut through um, in, in, the, uh, in getting out to people because stuff doesn't come in the mail. I mean, if we think about it, how much stuff do we actually get in the, in the letterbox these days? Very little. And um, if you stand out with something that's quality, I'm not saying necessarily letterbox drop everybody, but that whole idea of getting something that you can actually lay your hands on um, is is huge. It's back to what you said, Anthony. It's back to what you said at the start there when you were stressed and the whole good design. I think that is the key. If 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 you're wasting paper and you're just creating some sort of marketing material, just sales pitch, that's just not good for anybody. But if you do invest the time in if you're going to invest it into print which is a more expensive medium than social media i do think you should 
take the time and make sure it's something valuable that people want to keep. And I'd, like if someone was to chat to me about a brochure, I'd maybe even have a conversation about that, whether it's the right right uh, thing to do and whether they really do need it. Because the last thing I even want to be producing is just wasteful advertising. Not really keen, but if you want to make something beautiful and that people will keep, then print's a really good way to go and brochures particularly. And just before we wrap things up, um, Sean, I wanted to ask you a question that I like to ask all my guests is is an aha moment uh, when you're working with clients and they really um, see the value in what you've done. Is there is there a point where you see the lights really switch on for clients that, um, you know, traditionally speaking, or is it different for everyone? Oh, it's different for everyone, but like some of my, um, one client there is just sprung to mind, um, genius people, and it's Chris. And I remember Chris when he was like, I haven't asked many people to do a little testimonial, only like four or five. But I remember, and he said this to me in person anyway, but he was saying like, Sean's kind of taken everything out of my mind and created the brand that I wanted. And that that's just like the positive thing I'm looking to do. I'm really hoping that when I finish working with any client or business that they actually feel it it's theirs that it's their ideas that it's like they've helped create it and they just have that pride and that's and then once once in a while i know it's been a good job and yeah everyone's happy and that's that's a dream come true really fantastic look sean thank you so much for sharing um your insights and your story which is a, a wonderful story as we will uh with all of our guests we're going to include some information on how to get in contact with sean via the show notes and uh, thank you so much for being an amazing guest on BizBite, sean thanks anthony that was great and uh everyone we look forward to having your company on the next episode of BizBites. BizBites is brought to you by Com Together for all your marketing needs so you can build your brand, engage audiences on multiple platforms. Go to comtogether.com.au, follow the links to book an appointment for a free consultation.